This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Next Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from Episode 5, our interview with Tim Jobson of Predictive Health Intelligence, plus, from The Vault, Conversation 39.4 from Season 3, in which Louise Campbell, Ian Rowe, and I discuss some of the other frontline screening tests and systems in place in the UK in the summer of 2022, and take a look at issues surrounding the entire question of patient screening and bringing patients in. This conversation starts on the dual issues of patient data and proactivity. I suggest that patients will find proper early use of patient data highly empowering if it's used to educate the patient and improve care at the individual patient level. Louise Campbell agrees commenting on how patients feel when the system is supporting them proactively. Louise then goes on to ask what criticism they receive when the system diagnosis is, and I quote, wrong. In response, Tim Jobson notes that the system provides data to clinics and the clinics make the decisions, which should minimize that specific question, while helping patients further take control of their own health stories. The conversation pretty much stays on the issue of patient data, concluding with my observation that the passionate belief in protecting the data is half right. Patients, like all of us, want data protected from others who would use it against us, but are comfortable with those who use it to improve our health and overall lives. The challenge of cost-effective screening and triage of patients who are likely to be living with fatty liver is already pivotal and will become more so over time as drugs become available, publicity ramps up, and advanced fibrosis and cirrhosis rates continue to climb all over the world. This episode explores a solution that looks straightforward to implement in places that do not have integrated patient-level electronic health data like the U.S. And the conversations cut a big idea into bite-sized pieces. So just sit back, listen, enjoy, learn. And when you're done, Join the dialogue in our LinkedIn discussion group. Jörn Schattenberg. Physicians are and patients are not noticing liver disease in routine care. If we have tools to augment the recognition, in particular the ones that are urgent for management, it will expedite and start building these referral pathways. You know, that's where I'd like to come back to you, Tim, and congratulate you and your team for doing that. And because I think it's crucial to really start managing liver disease more actively than we're doing today. So, Jorn, I couldn't agree with you more. And let me let me draw that line a little bit further. I'm going to take a lesson I learned from Louise also. So, Tim, the last comment you made before my question was that people treat this data like it should be top secret. And in health systems, people also act like the doctor should be in charge. And one of the things I think we're learning in liver disease over and over again is that if you put the data out to patients with a way for them to understand what's going on. They will do the right thing. They will take care of themselves. And if you've ever sat in a focus group watching people who've had liver transplants weeping about what it felt like to find out that they that they had severe liver disease when 15 years ago somebody could have found it on a blood test, then you understand how disempowered patients feel at the back end of this process. I believe that the careful and intelligent use of early data to empower patients to know when to ask about their own health should yield benefits really all over the place. And to the degree that it's small d democracy or opens up the data processes. I think that's a good thing as well. Louise Campbell. Everybody wants to have somebody be proactive about their health. And yet we're overcomplicating things by putting barriers in the way and it's data protection. Yes, we need to protect data, but actually we don't need to make it so obstructive we can't find the right people with the right disease at the right time. The engagement that we get, 90 plus patients change their behaviour or people, because a lot of the people we scan are choosing to find out about the liver health for the first time and be proactive. Every single one of them takes on 
and changes something. And if they don't, you see the opposite and then they tailor it back. Those aren't massive resources at times, but they're very well used resources. And I think this is where doing the financial aspects really helps us. Because if we can stop somebody fronting at ED 10 times because we've picked them up early enough in that timeline, that's a cost saving that's not necessarily seen in a liver portfolio, but it is seen in a different department. So I think the implications of going for liver and metabolic health with a system like this is vast and huge if we really look at its potential. I had a question about, we often get told, what about the wrong person that you diagnose wrong? What about them? That's always used as an excuse not to proceed. I've certainly come across it with different areas. So that doesn't seem to be a problem that you've had, Tim, with any of the patients that you've had. You've picked them up. They may not have had the level of disease or did they all have the level of disease you thought? Tim Jobson. Yeah, so it's early days and small numbers at the moment, but absolutely. And what we've done is down from that case identification moment onwards, we just tried to mirror current pathways of care. So what would happen to you if you were referred by your GP is what you're, exactly what happens to you if I call you from this system. We actively discourage people from using this system. It's perfectly capable of being a useful lookup tool to, to make a diagnosis. You can look at the blunts and say, oh, I know what you've got. But the, the, the reality is the process we put in place is once a patient's in the clinic, you use the traditional systems in exactly the way you, you would use them because the same data is mirrored across all the systems. You, and we can look at it in a very similar way. So I don't look at our system when I've got a patient in front of me, I look at the standard hospital systems. I am not relying on the system saying this patient has advanced fibrosis and fatty liver disease because the system can't tell me that. What the system can show me is this patient falls into that cohort where you are looking for those particular parameters that we know are, are highly associated with those conditions. That's all it's telling you. And I think that's a, a really good way. I still think black box diagnosis is something that most health systems and most setups are not ready for. There are so many hidden potential problems with that approach because when the black box machine, the AI, the machine learning, the very clever algorithms come up with a wrong answer, not only do we not know how it came up with the wrong answer, we don't even know it has come up with the wrong answer. And it's about that transparency of data and transparency of data use. So that's our key approach to try and minimize that risk that the computer diagnosed me wrong is not realistically uh, significant. I mean, it's a, it could, we could get that label. We can get that label. We could certainly recall somebody to clinic in error, if you like, give them a once-over, say, actually, I think you're really well and sorry for taking your time. I, I don't think that's going to be a major issue. But I also think that sharing of data with the patient is, is hugely important because that helps those conversations. It helps conversations about when somebody's ill and it helps that conversation when they're well. And I do it routinely including. I spend a lot of time turning screen around including saying, these are your blood tests I'm looking at. This is the scan I'm looking at. That's the bit we're really worried about, whatever the conversation is. We've got to get people's healthcare data to them, 100%. Did you get any pushback from the primary care physicians? Because obviously by doing and looking at the retrospective tests, you're picking up where people have failed to detect in the past. And often that could be quite confrontational or a patient could go back to the primary care physician saying, you missed this. Have you had any pushback, any concerns? Or have they opened it, uh, welcomed it with open arms? We've had very little. We had lots of conversation with primary care and obviously primary care went through COVID as well just as we were implementing the first pathways and so that was really challenging and so we essentially bypassed primary care. That 
hasn't been an issue. And I think partly that's because the way I think it happens and the way we describe it right at the beginning of the project is around the simple, huge wave of abnormal blood tests that come into a GP's inbox on a daily basis. How can they possibly know which is the right one to pick out and send to us? Now, we write referral pathways and guidelines, and this is what a primary care person should look for, and this is when they should repeat the test, and then they should do a FIB4, and then they should send them for an health test. And, and But realistically, my experience over the last however many years is that that can never work for so many reasons. As I say, it's a volume of blood tests, but it's also, they see a different GP on a different day. They move practices. So we're stitching up the data right across the county. Doesn't matter which practice, which outpatient clinic, we're stitching it together. That view isn't available for the GP anyway. And I think when we describe it in that way, we haven't had the, all you're doing is pointing out our failures kind of challenge, and, and, and we're not. We're saying there are patterns, they're not seen, and that's nobody's fault, because if it's somebody's fault, it would only happen occasionally. It's universal that these patterns are not see and then we go look for the patterns and we see them and then we can start managing it. The, the one idea I had when you were talking now that came to my head was uh, it's important that we share with these patterns potentially other results with the patients too because we empower them to act on their data and I'm thinking back of a patient that I managed for a long time at one point he, he just stood up and said well I think you're not making sense to me anymore and I kind of lost him on the way somewhere stop in short visits explaining him to the depth that he would have needed that and if I have more data to share with him I maybe this could have you know I'm not saying that would have prevented this, but you have these situations where you lose your patient. If you have more time or support data to share, this could be something that's helpful in this context. Um, it's just a thinking. Yeah, and I couldn't. One of the thoughts I keep having as I'm listening, and it gets stronger as I listen, is that we think about the need to protect data, and we got it about half right, which is we're protecting data from being used against you, but not being used for you if you were the patient. And somehow we need to make that distinction: that, that, that data about oneself is one's best friend. Data about oneself is not in the wrong hands; is not one's best friend. So the the ability to make it easier, which Tim, the system seems to do, to make it easier for the physician to share or the, the provider, nurse or whoever, to share data with the patient in such a way that the data is protected from the outside world seems to be hugely, it's A, it's a really important dichotomy, and B, it's a way to, to drive that further. And I can see all kinds of cases for that. And what we have to do and what we've done and wherever else we take the system, we're going to do the same. It's about bringing as much data about the individual patient together from all the disparate sources. And different health systems are set up differently for that. But by keeping the inputs really simple, we can stitch the data together from, from lots of different sources and make sense of it. And that's really important for the patient, that they have the whole picture, because if they just see the rheumatologist in the rheumatology clinic and, and they see their blood test results, that's not the whole picture. They just see their GP, that's not the whole picture. They need to see, see the whole pattern. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section on the page from which you downloaded this conversation in your podcast distributor or send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. I'll be on holiday next week, but Louise and Jorn will be here to look at fatty liver disease in Australia. I'll be back the following week with them. So until then, stay safe, surf on, and we'll see you every week here on the Surfing with Nash Tsunami podcast. Bye-bye now. <laughs>